0: lights out of the hour. It is of Lights out for the Hello there, and welcome to episode eighty-five of Right Where You're Sitting Now. Um, I had to—we're uh, covering a very American topic uh, uh, this this episode—and I had to travel all the way to America and find a, a co-host suitable for. Um, for this kind of this kind of discussion and I had to drag him out of retirement from this once again drag him out of retirement from this this genre of podcasting uh, to join me in the in the co-host seat uh, welcome to the show once again mr raymond wiley how are you doing sir
1: uh, very good ken um if, if we could all stand for the pledge of allegiance <laughs> now uh, that would be good because uh, america is here so have we've come to rescue you again ken just like in 44 uh, here we so. go here we go
0: <laughs> and what a great topic william cooper exactly. right yeah exactly so that's who we were talking about this this episode the kind of one of the ogs of the conspiracy world um you know there, there, there were a few before him but no, the first one to really kind of crystallize what it means in my opinion what it means to be a true conspiracy theorist um and someone that i've kind of wanted to do a show on for ages but not really had the excuse to do one before but whereas our guest today gave us that excuse i mean he gave us that excuse a few years ago but i (laughs) i couldn't i couldn't uh get in contact with him so but luckily i've managed to get in contact with him so today we're talking to the author of pale horse rider uh the biography of william cooper um mark jacobson and uh mark mark's a very well established and you know honest to goodness journalist who's covered the life of William Cooper excellently in his book and it's it's a great book i've read it twice now um absolute page turner as far as i'm concerned because it's not only is it harking back to um kind of something i was interested in growing up but it's it's also it really harks back to that era and i, re- I find that era a kind of golden age for lots of different weird topics but um conspiracy was was fun then there was a funness to it even though Cooper was kind of dealing with kind of dark subjects he, there was still a funness to it it was a, it was a subculture and you know now obviously this has all changed but we'll talk about this with, with mark in the episode
1: yeah I think we can recapture a little of that little magic today especially with somebody like mark man this guy one of the most worldly people that i think i've ever interviewed uh and seen so much i think we could have sat and talked with him just about new york city yeah for an hour
0: today yeah yeah he's uh he's definitely he knows that city well like he says in the uh in the interview but yeah so let's cut over to that right now and we'll speak to you afterwards Hello, Mark Jacobson. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm wondering, could you give us a brief biography of yourself, please?
2: Brief biography? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, the 25 words or less one. I can't get that really. Um, well, I'm a I'm a nice Jewish boy from Queens. Uh, I grew up uh, there. I went to public schools. My well, public schools in the U.S. are different than public schools in the U.K. I mean, that means actually it's taxpayers and, you know, you go there and you're with everybody, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, and, I, and I, uh, I was born in 1948, which makes it exactly perfect to be a hippie, which I certainly was willing to go along with the flow there. And, um, you know, I graduated from University of California at Berkeley, in 2004 which was only 34 years after my class you know I <laughs> did graduate and um, you know so I'm uh, and I became a riot I, 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 was, I had several odd jobs I was a red I was a porter at the Port Authority bus terminal in New York if anybody's ever been there they know what that means I was a cab driver in New York City during the early 1970s and then I started writing for a living because cab driving was like way too hard and um um i worked for you know i was i was i worked for the village voice which is you're familiar you for me with that pipe paper? Yeah, yeah 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 it, was, you, know, it was, you know that kind of thing you know that kind of uh counter you know where the people that tell you like what's really happening mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and um you know i did that i was a, a magazine writer for many years which i you know, almost all the things that I was able to make a living at and put three kids, uh, raise three kids and put them through college no longer exist. (laughs) So, um, you know, (laughs) they just vanished over the past 20 years. So, um, you know, so I was happy to get a a large chunk of the so-called good about that because it really was a great job. I mean, do whatever you want. They pay for your ticket if you wanted to go somewhere. Um, and, um, now you work just as hard and some internet company, uh, gives you $200 and, and the, and they want you to sign a contract that it says that they own your work, even the stuff you didn't do for them in perpetuity, you know, and then you go like, well, I ain't going to sign that. <laughs> he says, you want your 200 bucks? You have to sign. I said, keep your 200 bucks. Blah, blah. <laughs> and so I stopped doing it. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, and then, you know, I did a bunch of stuff and, um, I wrote a bunch of novels and some nonfiction books, including Pale Horse Rider, which came out in 2018, I think. But after that, I retired from that because it's just too much work mm. for, it's just too much work. <laughs> I mean, at this, at, this, at, this, at, this, at this stage of my life, I mean, I really can't afford to spend three or four years doing something, you know, it's just not going to be available to me. So, you know, it's okay. I'm not complaining about that but you know it, it's been a uh, I've been a, a happy chappy and uh, you know it's been all right I'm a New Yorker I mean I identify I identify uh, if you ask me who I am I'd say I'm a New Yorker first um American somewhere down the line um you know sort of rootless cosmopolitan well well what those people on the radio are all upset about the rootless cosmopolitanism i mean that's <laughs> brilliant so <laughs> so you know so
0: but you came on my radar originally you wrote a book called american gangster which is like a collection of um kind of new york crime stories like real new york crime stories and then obviously i think the um the book which came first the book uh, or the film the film
2: no, well, what happened was um, there's another collection of that 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 comes out of a magazine piece that I wrote for, wrote for New York Magazine and I think maybe like two thousand or something like that. Um, and um, there's another collect that that American gangster book that you're talking about is uh, is a collection of different journalism articles. There's a previous one which was bigger, called the Teenage Hipster in the Modern World. <laughs> strange title but that's what that's what it was it has a lot of more of those kind of magazine pieces which is basically what i was doing um and um uh, the, the american gangster thing is um it's not my title, right. <laughs> <laughs> not my title. <laughs> um that's brian grazer's title uh-huh. um so uh or steven zally and you know, whoever wrote the screenplay for that movie uh i had gotten aware i would become aware of this guy frank lucas who's the main character in the film um because everybody you know everybody kind of like me knew that there was some drug dealer who had um you know either actually had done it or apocryphally had done it i stuffed heroin in the in the body cavities of the dead american soldiers coming back from the vietnam war now, this is uh, quite a concept if you begin to start thinking about it. Like you know, this is sort of like the beginning of the end for the U.S. as like you know the good guys, and um, you know, I you know we, we managed to edit things out like dropping atom bombs on people and killing a hundred thousand people in like one minute. That, that that's not part of the narrative. But by the by the by the time of the Vietnam War, it becomes a different kind of situation, and um, somebody was actually. You know packaging this death in the bodies of the dead soldiers you know most of whom were black to begin with um uh just a very pungent kind of thing so i never really believed it actually existed just was a kind of a story you know urban legend or something like that and then I, this guy told me that uh, the guy actually was alive i mean that he that really was true on some level and the guy was still alive, and that if um, he wanted to tell his story, so I um, found out where he lived, uh, which was in a project in Newark, New Jersey, which is a really beat up area. And um, I knocked on his door, and um, I, he comes out. And he's says, like, "What do you want?" So. You know, he'd been waiting all his life, you know, for a guy like me to come knock on his door so he could tell me his story <laughs> that he'd been working on, like, you know, for a long time, you know, because. Uh, uh, so, in any event, I, I wrote this article about this guy, Frank Lucas, you know, on basically, you know, all the things that he had done as a major heroin trafficker in in Harlem in the 1970s, you know, all that stuff was in the cultural Buzz because you know everybody's seen Superfly and all that kind of stuff, like that, you know, and you know, Cotton Comes to Harlem, Shaft, all those kind of like black movies from the 1970s. And uh, here was like the real guy, you know, and he was where to tell a story, and you know, and Frank was a real uh, character to say the least. I mean, um, a con man to the max, you know, <laughs> and, and and I'm really not really very. Not very uh, attached. I mean, he knew everything because he, he really was the real guy. But a lot of the stuff that he said he did was not exactly 100% true, which was kind of a given. If you actually read the original article, you'll see I'm writing. So Frank claims, uh, you know, there's a lot of that. So um, in any got picked up in the uh, after, you know, a lot of back and forth Hollywood kind of, Back and forth kind of stuff. They made it. Maybe that movie called American Gangster uh, out of that film, out of that magazine article. It's one of the few times that a uh, a major Hollywood film had made made out of a magazine article. I mean, previous before that, um, the only one I can think of really that is the same way is uh, Saturday Night Fever, which was uh, came out of the same magazine, was written by Nick Cone. Well, I guess maybe you might be familiar. Mm-hmm. with and being a Brit. <laughs> so Nick wrote Nick wrote this thing called. Um, I don't I'm really sure that Nick actually ever went to those nightclubs that he wrote about the John Travolta, dancing around there. But um, so it was like in that mode. And. Um, you know, the, the uh, another thing that people might know me for is that um, I uh, when I was a cab driver, when I first started becoming a magazine writer, I was still a cab driver because I wasn't making enough money. So my boss at the time, a guy named Clay Felker, who started New York Magazine, was really kind of a big figure in magazine journalism. In um, fact, the Berkeley Journalism Magazine thing named after him. Um, he said, you're a cab driver? What are you doing here? Because, I mean, he had all these kind of Harvard people working for him, you know, the idea that somebody you know, who's actually currently driving a taxi cab was also appearing in his pages was sort of so astounding to him that he asked me to write an article about what it was like to be a cab driver, which I really didn't want to do. But since he ordered me to do it, I did it and it became this TV show called taxi, which was on TV forever. (laughs) You know, So, and I made a fair amount of money out of that. So I was glad, glad to uh, have done that in retrospect. Yeah. So, you know, you know, and, you know, basically, just you know, living in I've always lived in New York, except so for a couple of years off of good behavior, living in California. And I live in Brooklyn right now, where um, it's 100 degrees. Yeah,
0: it's hot here today as well, weirdly, but um, which is it's, rare for England. Oh, oh. I could say. So I'm going to go back to 1994. I'm sat in my college, which is not what you consider college, you know, uh, the middle bit between university and school. For us, is called college. Um, and the, uh, the, the trend then was to log on to um, services like AOL and CompuServe and things, and you'd dial in. I always remember one day I got a document, I found a document on this list of documents there, and it said, um, like, government cover-up of UFOs revealed. And it was this long <laughs> document written by someone called William Cooper. And it was my first exposure to proper, you know, true conspiracy culture um so i've always had this kind of romantic not romantic but like a, you know i kind of i've always always sort of followed what william cooper uh has you know has done and i've always read um you know about him he's, he's always been a fascinating character william cooper and art bell two two legends in my opinion
2: but um but william cooper is, i mean he's unique yeah. i mean i i you know the book didn't sell and uh, you know, a lot of my liberal friends refused to read it because they thought it was a pro-Trump book. It was it so stupid? I mean, there's no, there's no reason to think that the so-called elites of the of the East are any brighter than the morons of the West. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, you know, I, um I still don't regret doing it. I mean, it was a lot of work, but he's just such a. I mean, he's a brilliant figure, man. I mean, you know, with all, I mean, brilliant in the sense of. I don't know. I mean, the way you guys use the word brilliant, I wouldn't necessarily. <laughs> but he was he was a singular figure, mm. to say the least.
0: So how did you, uh, you've, there's an interesting kind of tale behind uh, how you discovered William Cooper. You kind of kept bumping into him, didn't you? Um, not him physically, but his work.
2: Um, well, you know, you start off with, um, you know, I... I, I And we can talk about it at length, but it may not be that interesting to the audience. But I mean, the the idea of so-called conspiracy or alternative thinking or alternative history, all history, I mean, uh, some people call it parapolitics, you know, different kind of, you know, looking at at the uh, conventional narrative that they're putting out in the newspaper, because when I was growing up, I mean, there was nobody. I mean, they would give us this kind of like basically a propaganda rag called My Weekly Reader and we read about it, and we find out about how wonderful Warner von Braun was because he was going to send America, he was going to keep America like in the space race, you know, against those nasty Russians and stuff like that. And um, you know, we didn't know he was a Nazi. That <laughs> <laughs> you know, was, was, was news to me when I found it. I thought that he was a wonderful guy. You know, I I look at the stars and all kinds of stuff like that. So you know, it it became uh, somewhere along the line, um, you know, and say the middle 1960s with the Vietnam War, of course. That was that's the full chromatic moment. And um, you begin to like, you know, question some of this stuff. And most of this kind of questioning was coming from the left, the so-called left. You know, that all the Kennedy stuff comes out of like people like Paul Krasner and uh, who was the editor of a magazine called The Realist, which is worth looking up if you want to uh, you know study this period. And, um, you know, the idea that, you know, the Warren report was considered to be like, you know, the first real major, you know, piece of government mandated propaganda. I mean, we didn't. I mean, if you read the Declaration of Independence, like when we got our independence from you fuckers, um, (laughs) you know, I just happened to read it yesterday or two days ago because it was they published it in the New York Times because it was Fourth of July, right? And it says right in there that, uh, that one of the major bitches that the American colonists had against the British, the British Crown, right, was that they were conveying with the savage Red Indians to take land from white people. Oh, read it. It's right there. <laughs> you know. So, I mean, I go like, well, I mean, this is nothing new here. I mean, you know, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, but so that's the proclamation not, of seventeen sixty three. Anyhow, um, I didn't want to cut you off there, Raymond, if you uh, were you going to say something. Uh, I just,
1: yeah, I was just adding on. That was proclamation of 1763. That's right. American settlers couldn't go across the Appalachian Mountains, and that was a big one of the big things. Yeah, I mean, if that. you look at these
2: documents, you know, with, a, with an eye to um, to, you know, picking out the parts that they left out of what they told you in school— You know, you'll find a lot of stuff. I mean, on the other hand, you know, there are a lot of admirable things. But you understand that as long as everybody is a white person, everything is very high-minded. They're very, everything is fair. It seems very, you know, as long as, but there's only certain kinds of people that are cursed, that that appeal, that that applies to. The others, you know, are just not part of the deal. And you know they're not even considered to be somebody who could read this document. So um, you know, I don't mean to be too commie about it, but uh, you know, no, it's no. there. You know, so it's hard to ignore. But anyway, so like William Cooper, it's like the This is a kind of a long way. So Cooper comes out of this um, tradition of the Kennedy assassination. I they call it assassinationology kind of thing. Where people would read these things and, you know, um, there are any number of books. Mark was named Mark Lane wrote a book called Rush to Judgment. And that was really the um, beginning of this thing. And then on the right, they had this thing called the John Birch Society. The John Birch Society, if you read the John Birch Society stuff and edit out the more crazy stuff, like John like Dwight D. Eisenhower was an agent of the Communist Party <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little hard to figure that one out but I mean they really thought this I mean you you're looking at the the current Republican Party platform I mean you know it's uh yeah. it's very similar you know so so you've got this kind of like you know distrust with the government um from coming from the left because you know J. Edgar Hoover was the boss and he's the one that's running the COINTELPRO and all that kind of stuff and sending his agents in to kill Eldridge Cleaver and all our heroes, you know, from the Black Panthers, you know, and stuff like that. Um, So you got that and then you throw in this kind of birth society outsider theory, which is, um, you know, comes out of that libertarian idea And you merge them together and then eventually you're coming to create somebody like William Cooper, who is radicalized in this when he um, I mean, you can read the book. It's it's a big, long story. But anyhow, and when he comes back from Vietnam, which was like his goal in his life, he's comes from a military family and he just wants to get out there and and do what, you know, to defend the Constitution by... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By putting down the, the the North Vietnamese, you know this is I, I never really quite understood that. But um the uh the uh so then you come up with somebody like that, and like William Cooper is not a right wing guy at all. He's listening to these jazz records. He's a beatnik. I mean, he is a beat. He's got. I mean, you listen to his shows, which are all available. I mean, he's he says he's 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 lambasting his listeners who he knows are a bunch of fat ass uh, you know kind of provincial types and telling him that you don't have anything compared to Louis armstrong Louis armstrong is a great man you are just a person <laughs> <You know? laughs> i mean if you listen to it you can see here all these kind of weird counter narratives you know so um I found this to be exceedingly interesting, um, you know, coming from where I was coming from. And um, and the thing that actually got me, one of the things that really was a, the Zapruder film. Are you familiar with the Zapruder film? All right, so the Zapruder film is a major document of conspiracy thinking, because it's the only visual record of the death of John Kennedy. Um, and you can look it up and get all the details. But uh, for a long time, you know, one of the things that's been taken out of the narrative about the Zapruder film is that Time magazine, Time Life, the Time Life Company, which was uh, run by Henry R. Luce, who was the guy that came up with the March of Times um, newsreels that we used to watch when we were kids. You know, you go to the movies and they always play a time, March of Time, and it was basically Cold War propaganda for the most part. Um, you know, not with thrown in with some real stuff and, um, and, uh, you know, in his major, his number one guy was a guy named C.D. Jackson, another person worth worth looking up and he made C.D. Jackson shows up and he buys, takes a 50 year option, more or less the way that somebody might option your magazine piece or something like that, um, uh, 50 year option on the Zapruder film. And he also takes a 5th year option on the story of Marina Oswald, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's wife, who is a Russian. You know, and um, they basically sat on a thing, and you never could see it. It became this mythic object. Um, like, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the work of Don DeLillo, who's a major American author of the period of time, still around, I guess, but you know, his major work was in this conspiracy stuff uh, because he has books where like people are searching for snippets of footage and, you know, they're, they're desperate to get their hands on these things. You know, like Adolf Hitler's like, you know, porno film or something like that. And um, and. Um, so it was very hard to see. There's a pruder film. So Bill Cooper, who's after he gets out of the Vietnam War, he's just really got this nasty case of CPI PTSD. I mean, he's not all right. And um, and he's uh, he's a Navy diver and he's got all kinds of strange jobs and he teaches at these bogus universities like Trump University, that kind of stuff. And um, uh, so he gets a hold of the executive film and He comes up with this fantastic theory, which was not really his, that the driver of the car is the person who shot the president. And it's right there. You know, you can see it on the film because, and actually get, if you get messed up enough, smoke enough blunts and keep watching it and, you know, you begin to see it. (laughs) Things are like that, you know? So, uh, because as the guy turns around because he hears something, there's a flash of light off the, off the head of the guy sitting in the passenger seat who has like bro cream kind of slick back hair. And um, that's really what the light is. But it looks it looks like there's something in the guy's hand. So Cooper comes up with this great theory and a lot of people go for it. You know, I mean, it's a fantastic idea. That the crime of the century is committed in plain sight, yet somehow right. nobody sees. So <laughs> that's that's a basic construct of right. conspiracy. You know, no doubt that one. Like, you know, that
1: one hasn't aged particularly well, but it's a great window into Bill Cooper because if you're watching that and then you hear Bill Cooper describe. The, the oh, driver's yeah. he, got, got he, the he, dart gun he, and he, all this. You, you, he really can put you in that world. For me, I'm interested in him because he's a he's a pretty famous broadcaster.
2: That's just oh, he's a, a, a very genius indie indie on a radio. I mean, who's better? Who is, if you listen to those things when he's on? He's not always on, you know, because um, he's fucking plowed half the time. But um, the uh, when he's got when he's when he's cooking, hard to beat him. Hard to beat. The just he's got this kind of American, you know, it's I know what I'm talking about. I'm a reasonable person, but there's a place where I'm going to draw the line. And, you know, this is what I believe in. And I don't know what, you know, who knows what he really believed in. But I mean, he he was the best at playing that character. Really great. And then, and then, of course, he was able to create, recreate that character into real life by managing to get shot out of his house.
1: You know? Right. He, he kind of manifests himself into existence, like many artists and celebrities do. I feel like, and that that must have started in 1991 when he published "Behold a Pale Horse." Well,
2: 1991 right. is a really kind of. Um, spectacular year in the history of my of the modern world i mean that's the fall of the soviet union that is a moment at which the narratives the existing narratives for since 1945 um begin to shift you know like so therefore you know everything that we used to believe is no longer true so um at that point it seems like everything's up for grabs. And when that book, that's one of the great things about Cooper and why he's such, why I wanted to write a book about him. I mean, I could have written a magazine piece in in retrospect, I wish I did. <laughs> but, but you know, regardless. Um,
1: yeah. I think you're really onto something there though, because his theories, his ideas just thrived in that world between the fall of the Soviet Union and nine eleven. And like you said, everything is up for grabs, and there's this weird left right convergence in that in this sort of paranoid thinking in the yeah, no, world. and the conspiracy
2: really until uh, and the thing that the business about the cooper and the and the World Trade Center with his supposed prediction which is actually you know I mean when you I mean you know what I'm talking about right yeah. Yeah, I don't want to jump around, but I mean, it's a big topic, so I don't know how long you want to talk about it. No, you're, you're fine. You're fine. Bill Cooper was, he said, and you can look it up, I mean, you can listen to it yourself. He says something big is going to happen in this country, and, and they're going to blame it on Osama bin Laden. He doesn't say what's going to happen. He doesn't say that the World Trade Center is going to be blown up, but he does say what I just said. And that is some, nobody else ever said that. So, you know, he deserves credit for that. I mean, there are people like uh, in
1: the FBI saying that in the years, like John O'Neill or whatever, but you would have never heard of just a a broadcast. That's 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 way
2: beyond. During that day. Right. (laughs) So so that's just like, you know, I mean, what more do you want? I mean, John O'Neill is the only other person that was like, and and they were trying to shut him up too. So then he's, and he happens to die in, in, in on that very day, you know, so like uh, along with all that stuff, all those paper records from the from the, from the the stock exchange, I mean, that they never somehow digitalized. And somehow, you know how many people saved money on that day? They didn't have to pay out of debt.
0: <laughs> I think that's interesting is that um, Alex Jones and people like David Icke and these kind of upcoming um, conspiracy theorists at the time, all claimed afterwards that they also predicted nine um, eleven, but if you actually look at the timeline, it's clearly Cooper. It's Cooper, and you can see I that. Wanna,
2: you know. I think the date is June twenty eighth, ninth two thousand and one. I mean, I'm you could, you, I'm not one hundred percent sure that's the date, but it's sometime in June. And he says it, and it happened. He he says it before it happened. He was not going around saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, I knew that." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, and he's, he's probably the, the
1: only one in the group there, Ken, that's well-read enough to have been aware of the USS Cole and what had happened in the embassy bombings in Kenya. Was it Kenya? Somewhere in Africa, mean, East
2: Africa. The newspaper. I mean, he was a regular kind of person who was like, you know, he was not a he was not a transitional kind of Internet person. I mean, the thing that one of the more uh, interesting long range things about Bill Cooper is he exists before the Internet. So therefore, you know, he's a different kind of person, you know, saying this kind of stuff. And the fact that he's on shortwave radio and maybe has an audience of like 200 people. I mean, you know, (laughs) and half the time he doesn't even come in, you know, Um, that 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 is like that's mythic. (laughs) That's the kind of right brain kind of uh, stuff that um, becomes. You gotta actually care about that to get into that kind of thing. Yeah, you,
1: you gotta know? really want it.
0: But they it reached so even
1: here. I, mean, I think for
2: some of our younger
1: listeners too, I think they they would be interested in that. What does it look like to be a sort of indie conspiracy theory celebrity in an, in the time of where everything's sort of analog? I mean, there is a little bit of internet at the time, but how does a person like that make money? How do they who do they perform for? Where do they perform? He like, was
2: always desperate for money. He was like poor, you know. But he was determined. Um, the thing about Cooper was it was all about the radio and um, he as strangely enough, oddly enough, even though you know, I would I would I would say he was a pre internet person, he did get his start. Uh, And in his UFO days uh, on the Internet, when they used to have those bulletin boards with like uh, younger people might not remember this kind of stuff. But it was this endlessly long thing of type. You'd go in and you'd open up your computer and then it'd be this kind of thing. And it was the, the actual epitome of too long, didn't read, you know, that kind of thing. But people would do it, you know, because they weren't, they weren't weaned off the idea that if it's more than a paragraph long, not, you know, it can't be right. You, know, you don't want to pay attention to it. So like, um, in any event, so like, you know, when he came out and, and it's like, almost like, I would say he was a natural genius at this stuff. He was a genius. I mean, he, he wanted to be He knew immediately that the UFO thing was the way in. That was the only thing that people actually paid attention to. That was across the board. The UFO thing is the first major conspiracy theory of the modern world. The first time that everybody, I mean, almost everybody believes in these things, whether they believe in it or not, you know, they believe it. And the government is telling you that's not true. That is it. You know, there you are. And it doesn't make a difference who you are or what class you're from or what race you're a member of or any of these things. UFO thing is across the board. And Cooper knows that. So he comes up with the most spectacular sighting I think I've ever read. You know, this business about this, he's on, He's a, first of all, he's a Navy guy. You know, he's got this credibility of the military impermature. And then this gigantic object comes out of the sky. It lands in the ocean, goes under the ocean, comes back out up, up from crashing out of the waves, goes back up into the clouds, does it again three or four times, like it's showing off, like what it can do, like you puny humans, you know, <laughs> you know. Check this out, dude, and um, and you know, and and after that, I mean, it was the, most of the the uh, UFO people were like, they were beaten. I mean, this is like if you know about UFO history, going back to um Kenneth Arnold and all those people like that. Uh, you know, Kenneth Arnold was, he's the first sighting. He's the, he makes the first famous sighting nineteen forty-seven of this of this and he's actually the guy who invented the word flying saucer because he said that they look like saucers skipping across the air you know and um then uh, he got hooked up with a guy named raymond palmer who is uh, another great uh, figure of uh, for further research who was an editor of a magazine called fate magazine who told he he, he gets uh Arnold's story and writes the history of that's really the beginning of the UFO thing right there. And, um, you know, so Cooper grew up reading these things, you know, he's uh, one of these um, readers of uh, that kind of pulpy stuff and comic books and stuff like that. you anyway, know, it's all, I mean, I don't know what it was like in England, but this is a big deal in America, you know, reading those kind of like, uh, like they were for mystery fans. There were the Alfred Hitchcock, Things, uh, Alfred Hitchcock magazine, Ellery Clean, you know. So if you so when you first learn how to read when you were eleven years old, these are the first things that you're actually reading on your own. You know, you're not reading your school books, you know. <laughs> do <that>. Right. So,
1: <laughs> so while you're so, doing yeah. the book, how how much of this information about Cooper before 1988 were you able to verify because you know he's got he tells a lot of stories about himself
2: it's, it's not it's broadcasts. not easy to. Hear. I mean I found I mean I did my journalist thing you know I I, I mean I'm fairly I mean I, I had a lot of experience I have a lot of experience doing that and I'm I'm not the greatest but I can do it and um yeah I mean a lot of this I mean there's all kinds of records about him. like you know he, the stories that he told about his military experience I mean, all the visits to the VA for for uh, PTSD-related stuff, they didn't even know what PTSD was at the time. But he was an inpatient on at least two occasions. And um, that stuff's not in the stuff he was telling the people on the radio. Um, because, but it's there. You can find it. You know, um, any, and, uh, you know, but I found that to be okay. I mean, you know, if you're trying to sell yourself as a, as a kind of, you know, sentient individual who's like looking at this with a clear eye, you can't have this kind of stuff on your record. So, I figured that's okay, cut that out. Yeah, but um, the uh, and see the thing that when he gets on shortwave radio, he was on this thing called um, I can't remember the name of the station, but it was the largest single um, had the most power of shortwave radio. It was a It was called W C wwcr used to be worldwide country radio and then it got bought by somebody else and it became worldwide christian radio wwcr so now you're moving into a more mythic and kind of like um you're making the move from into the the evangelical world where you've got all those people who are just not going to buy the tenants of the modern world you know and you're dealing with that still now i mean that's what donald trump really got most of his support from i mean these people are like believe that he's a he's a that all that stuff. the reason why trump could get elected even though they had all that stuff of him doing all these unchristian things you know is because he's god's you know he's going to be a raised up broken vessel you know and and, you know, all this biblical stuff. But so Cooper recognizes that right away that this is his natural audience because they're not. They're not reading scientific American. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they're reading the Bible, you know, So like um, and now and now um, now you're now you're uh, and it takes him a long time to realize, you know, you can actually watch his brain working if you're paying enough attention to this stuff by doing the actual research on him and, um, and he's, he's now, and then by the time he gets thrown off the air because he's an impossible person to deal with and he gets in fights with every single person. And, um, then he goes into his itinerant phase, you know, he becomes sort of like, um, you know, who Charlie Patton is blues guy. Charlie Patton was a famous blues guy and they would like, Kind of an itinerant uh singer or like a you know it was like before newspapers they would have people like a herald who go around and you know tell so cooper became this kind of like independent voice on shortwave radio which number one most people didn't have a shortwave radio they had to have a shortwave radio to be able to hear this so they're already now it's exclusive the exclusivity of the boy of the manner. And the more difficult it is to find out the information, the more true it seems. I think that that's really, you know, that's pretty much a standard, you know, idea of way people get to these things. Like you got to accept Jesus Christ to know what he means. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. I mean, I'm not knocking any of this stuff. Don't get me wrong. Um, And uh, but, you know, you have to go through a certain degree of trial and tribulation. Like the Buddha, he doesn't just sit down underneath the tree, you know, and suddenly become enlightened. He's got to walk around for many years, you know, and like, you know, it's just something you got to do. So to be able to get the truth with the quotation marks on it, if you want um, from a person, somebody like Bill Cooper, you got to go out of your way to find it. You can't just look it up on the Internet like the way people do now. That's one of the reasons why this this whole stream of thought has become so devalued and kind of commonplace and stupid, basically. You
0: know, it's mad how, about- with mm-hmm. William Cooper, like how, I mean, in the nineties, there used to be a stall in in London in a place called Camden, um, in mm-hmm. Camden Market. It was quite well known. You could pick up kind of you uh, know illicit things yeah, there. I um, do, yeah. <laughs> But there's um, there was a guy that used to have a stall and he'd sell things like bootleg um, recordings of um, you know like live concerts and stuff and but he'd also sell he had one stack of Art Bell Coast to Coast AM cassettes and yeah. and one stack of Hour of the Time. Uh, I remember I used to, and you'd buy a stack of them for about five pounds. I remember I used, because I was quite young, I used to save up money and go, Mm -hmm. because that was quite a lot of money then. Um, But I'd buy this whole stack of uh, William Cooper and Art Bell um, stuff. And it was, I mean, it's mad that someone on a shortwave radio broadcasting to a few hundred people manages to become quite a cult figure over here as well and it's i mean you can say the same about art bell obviously we couldn't you know it's before art bell started streaming online you know, right but he had a big yeah. a quite well, a big you know, following here
2: because it's tough to find the more valuable it is mm-hmm. i mean that's a standard act of life you know so you know gold Ken, were you watching
1: x-files at the time because Going through Cooper's theories, man, I feel like Chris Carter just lifted a lot of the, well, the conspiracy and concepts in X-Files straight from Cooper's work.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I interviewed Chris Carter, and he basically admitted that to me. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> I mean, I called him up, you know, and he was willing to talk to me because I he had some product out at the time, and I was working for New York Magazine. We, we so interviewed, we
0: interviewed Dean Hagland on this show, who was the guy, the blonde hair, long blonde. He looks a bit like... Um, one of the Waynesworld Garth from Waynesworld, but he was in the X Files. Yeah. He was one of the three three horsemen, I think they were called. The lone uh, gunman. Lone gunman. That's it. Lone gunman. Yeah. And
2: uh, lone, he, yeah, lone gunman. Yeah. Yeah. And he
0: said that. But, I
2: mean, you know, but he, you know, he there's, you can find this interview with with Cooper with uh, Chris Carter in Rolling Stone where he says, "I love those books, one with the big capital letters, which is <laughs> definitely <laughs> the pale horse for sure, right?" So, you know, so I called him up and he said, "Yeah, oh yeah, that was a big deal for me, man, you know, because he didn't care, mm. you know, he was just looking for material." One thing that's you know,
0: interesting as well is that Alex Jones kind of followed that same model, didn't he? Where he kind of got onto like a one radio network and then sort of his tentacles kind of went out. But I guess he had he managed to rein it in enough to kind of you know stay on these radio. I think he's still on quite a few of them. It, isn't it he? was an evangelical network, too. yeah. Genesis Communications,
2: yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it's 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 um, that's pretty standard. I mean, Alex Jones, I mean, it's uh, it's in a book, but I mean, he just went to school on Bill Cooper, I mean, he was listening to him at night. And learn how to do it. I mean, and then, I mean, they had all kinds of fights, you know, because that's the kind of uh, thing that sells in that kind of market. Everybody hates everybody else, like the rap. It's like rappers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, um, but uh, one thing I will say for Alice Jones, who I think is really uh, not a really admirable figure, but uh, he was he. If you listen to his broadcast, which I write about in the book. Uh, He's the only person that understands that Bill Cooper dying the way he died, getting shot in front of his own house is a big moment. He understands that. And he's on the radio talking to this guy, Glenn Jacobs, who lives live right next door to Cooper or like, you know, could see his. I talked to him that book and, you know, stood out on his porch where you could see Bill Cooper's house from his porch. So they were friends, of course, and uh, and Jones is there trying to get Glenn to admit that he saw all these federal troops there, and they're the ones that killed Cooper. And uh, this guy Glenn is going, no, nah, nah, that's not, what <laughs> you know. But nevertheless, sorry, man, it was just the county but- <laughs> sheriff. Sorry to disappoint you, but well, no, I mean it didn't matter because I, you know, uh, Alice Jones is not going to yeah. go with a complicated and weird story of sure. what actually really happened you know so um he's going to go with the the one that's going to work for him and uh well you know can we dig into
0: the, the cooper's death a little bit oh, let's that's actually come back to that yeah. in, uh, a bit later because there's one thing i really want to talk about which is the mystery babylon which is this kind of big kind of uh kind of his masterpiece in a way isn't it it's kind of um it really it sort I of sets the that
2: way. yeah <laughs> Um, I have to say that some of the Mystery Babylon gives me a big headache, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I will say that the first episode, the very first episode of Mystery Babylon, the one where he uses the stuff in the Kubrick film 2001 to start his investigation into the history of the world is a true masterpiece of radio Just talk radio it's just great i mean you know and i'm a big fan of that movie you know (laughs) so so um and the idea that he would understand that the monolith was exactly the same thing as the tree of knowledge you know this forbidden fruit and all that kind of stuff like that and that the first thing that the apes do when they become enlightened is kill each other i mean that is um I mean, he was on that in a way that, I mean, there are there are plenty of really smart individuals from Yale University and stuff like that who are writing treatises about that film about what it was supposed to be about, and none of them get it like Bill Cooper do. Did I mean he was just? I mean, it was like light years ahead of anybody else. I mean, as a as for import of like what it might mean in the in the culture. The people, normal people just sitting there watching the film, you know, he divorced that intellectuality that kind of like, and you know, that Arthur C. Clark stuff. He just got that out of there and, and he 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 told you what it meant to him. And one of the things about Bill Cooper, which is one of the great things about him, great. And, uh, he's an everyman. You know, he really feels that this is the way I feel. This is the way people like me feel. And those are the only people I care about. So, um, you know, he just was brilliant. I mean, he, yeah, he had his hits and misses, but that was definitely a hit. That's a, the rest of this stuff. I mean, he mostly cribbed it from another, from a book <laughs> so he ran. I and mean, that was his great inspiration. And he tried and he tried to keep it going, but you know, I would say it was, you know, it got less interesting. It was, it went along, but it, provided a kind of situation where it seemed like he was a great scholar which is very important he's a scholar of this material like bill cooper has done his research you know and that's see for instance it's interesting about bill cooper um you know we were having a big discussion about this only yesterday right and we're trying to follow the derivation of the word woke which is a big deal in american politics right now i don't know if you're familiar with this you know right this guy ron de santos and all the kind of people that are counterintuitively trying to run to the right of donald trump are you know attaching a lot of negative stuff to the word woke in other words and but if you ask people like what does that mean they're kind of at, at, at extremes to tell you what it means because you know it means a lot of kind of like unf- unfortunate things i think you know <laughs> So what people don't it's want become this about. sort
1: of catch all term for, I guess, like, doesn't
2: really make a, sense to know, me. We want things to go back to the way they were is what it means, basically. So um, and, uh, you know, but Cooper, who's the he's he didn't invent the word sheeple, but he's the, he's the popularizer of that word. He he didn't invent the word woke, but he's the person that keeps on saying, wake up, sheeple. And he uses the word woke throughout that those broadcasts and woke. Uh, the thing is kind of fascinating to me about Cooper, which is really the main reason I wrote the book. And, you know, one of the main reasons I wrote the book was like his crossover to the hip hop community is is just astounding to me as a cultural, you know, the friction of that kind of thing where certain groups like, why are black guys from the projects in Queens listening to what a fat white guy living on top of a mountain in Arizona? Why do they care about what he thinks? Why do they think that that is the main that that's going to give them some information? I mean, I talked to prodigy, who was the main writer of uh, of a uh, mob deep. You know, if you're familiar with them, I mean, they're um, I said, "Is it true that you wrote uh, that you read Behold the palehorse four times like you said in this interview?" He said, "No, man, that's not right. I read it six times." <laughs> he said, "You know, I didn't want to go up there and start spitting, you know, which is what a rapper does, um, unless I had everything right and correct." And right and correct is a is um that's what You, if you know about this kind of shit, you understand that that's. uh, From the vocabulary, vocabulary of the five percenter movement, which every single major rapper from the 1990s was a member of, I think, I mean, Wu Tang, everyone, Busta Rhymes, you know, they're all five percenters. And you can go back and look and find out what that means. But um, that when they when they saw Bill Cooper and he's saying this kind of stuff, and that was that's what made that book the most popular book among the most read books in the New York State prison system. These were the people who understood what this guy, who was outside society and had this kind of global complaint, they understood that in a kind of meaningful way. So, um, and it's true today. I mean, you can go 125th Street this minute, there is guys up there with these tables selling books and if you want to get a copy of Behold the Pale Horse, that's the place to go. You know, <laughs> so, you know They buy
0: up copies, don't they? Like, I mean, what? They buy up like bulk copies as well, don't they, of, of
2: um... Well, I mean recently and I and I gotta say I've been re- I've been remiss in finding that there seems to be a reprint of that book which has deleted the the uh, the chapter which um, has the entire con the entire text of the protocols of the elders of Zion, <laughs> you know, which was considered to be a little too controversial, even for William Cooper, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, he. really I mean, he,
1: he's one yeah, of the he people. he stumbled
0: that, right into that one.
1: I yeah,
0: tell yeah. He um he's kind of one of the things he's most like known for. I mean, um was kind of really. I mean, him and John Birch Society really pushed that document, didn't they? I mean um the protocols he
2: he he's much more he's much more enlightened than they are Mm -hmm. i mean um actually as i'd be interested to find out how these things play in in the uk because i only know about the american context well i know um
0: he 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 didn't see it literally like the john birch society he saw it more as a kind of you replace the word jew with uh, illuminati and all this kind of stuff didn't he so he was more in the uk we had the same thing with um David Icke basically said the same thing here. He was like, it's not actually about the Jews or, you know, the, the Zionist movements and all this kind of thing. It's actually about reptiles in his case, (laughs) reptile aliens, you know, um, um, but you know, yeah. So it, it was, it's, done the rounds here as well but under in that kind of guise as it's actually it's code for something else but clearly it's not it's actually what it is (laughs) it isn't
2: it isn't isn't. i think a cooper what he's like well i don't know what he really thought i mean you know he occasionally get on the get on the radio and rail against people like you know um that's more of a minor point but i think that um you know, his thing was that his this is a forgery. This is this is one of the, the great forgeries in the history of this kind of mind control. And um, everybody knows that everybody hates Jews, and they're the trouble with everything. But actually, you know, they're this, they're just the scapegoats. And um, you know, die, these kind of documents are written by the real masters, you know, who who are just trying to de- deflect your attention away from themselves so they can continue to do all these horrible things and get it blamed on the Jews. So, um, you know, uh, being of the member of that particular tribe myself, I was willing to give him that, um, you know, it didn't bother me. You know, I'm not that kind of person, but, uh, you know, that's, that's one, uh, that's what got Bill Cooper on the, on the enemies list of the America of, um, anti-defamation league and stuff like that it's that the same kind of thing,
0: thing that got david ike on their list as well it, it was um he he like i said he rather than seeing it as a piece of propaganda um he saw it as a, a piece of propaganda for alien reptiles
2: <laughs> um, well, you know, it's, it's right there you can't beat the document <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah. like, he was right about it i mean you know i mean if you want to look at it i mean if you're going to write something like that that would be um those those czar I mean whoever really wrote it um, those uh, czarist policemen whoever supposedly wrote it I mean they did a great job mm. you know so <laughs> I I like, I mean, I like
1: a, how I like how Cooper <laughs> attributes some yeah. of that to the quote Priory of Zion mm. which he's lifted from like Henry Lincoln's books like Holy Blood Holy Grail and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, yeah. what's yes. funny to but me about that programmer. is that that concept was also based on a forged document. So we have like layers of forged <laughs> <Yeah>. documents <laughs> in this particular chapter of Behold the Pale.
2: Well, you know, um, for instance, like the book of Revelations, you know, which is probably there the only go. book in the Bible that most people ever read. Um, <laughs> <you> know, uh, <laughs> The fun one.
0: Uh, that's been it's in and out one. of the
2: Bible on numerous occasions, depending on who the Pope was some people kept it in some people threw it out yeah
1: they didn't they didn't there was a lot of debate in the early centuries of christianity about whether that should be in
2: there it's not that different i think you know i mean that kind of mentality is not that different right
0: yeah they still debate it now I, i Like,
2: well, I'm glad it's in there it's it's great
0: yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's the metal chap you, get a bit, I, you? I, think I mean it's
2: like you, for the world really you know who knows how many people have died because of that book but uh you know but it's a um, hey man every hair in their head is numbered i mean bob dylan couldn't come up with that <laughs>
0: so, <you> know, <laughs> so we was, we, saw, we touched upon it earlier but we should uh, um talk about the death of william cooper because it not only, oh, and before actually, maybe before we go into the death, we should talk about his kind of knack for prediction because he he kind of predicted his own death. But he also the one thing that with prediction that really interested me was he kind of predicted school shooters as well, didn't he? He um and the kind of link to sort of antidepressants and things like that. It, I've, I found, oh yeah. Yeah. There, yeah, there's
2: no doubt about it. I was just looking at that today. I mean, you know, I mean, strangely enough, I mean that people like the idea of the. See, you've got to have this. You know, I mean, and, and that's another situation in which Cooper was really prescient in the sense that he was able to uh, anticipate the huge battle about the Second Amendment and guns in this country that is goes on every day. Every time somebody kills 11 people in a shopping mall, you get this kind of anti gun stuff. You know, that's just the way it is. You know, that's um, you know, it's just par for the course, and there's already been what they call mass shootings. I don't know what the definition of a mass shooting, but I think there have already been 300. We're only in July. You know? So, I mean, this is um, this is a symptomatic of a kind of like, you know, society that might not necessarily be operating at the top of its uh, game here. You know, so um, the uh, but Cooper's idea, because being a Second Amendment dude, um, you know, the idea is to try to come up with some other reason why people are acting insane, you know, and it's got to be and you got to blame it on somebody. You know, I mean, but the thing about Bill Cooper and, and go to go back to the Osama bin Laden thing is that when you're talking about predictions for for conspiracy people, it's not really exactly what it mean what it seems like on the surface, because you're not really predicting what's going to happen. You you. You don't know exactly what's going to happen but you already know who did it them the them did it you know whoever your them is or they it's who they're going to blame it on that's the prediction you know who's going to get the blame for this thing that these bad people are doing and continue to do so um that's why he was a brilliant guy at predicting osama bin laden was going to get the blame although it's not that strange and, and you know you can see it coming after the after those different um you know events that happened previously that were blamed on him so uh which she i don't know if he did it or not so um i do know that it was kind of weird to throw his body off the boat <laughs> that kind of plays into the whole thing so um in any event yeah, co- people would have had a field
0: co- day with that wouldn't he he would have had a field day with the boat thing
2: well i mean how I mean, if you're trying, if you're if you're supposedly the Obama administration and you're supposedly against this idea of people coming to what you consider to be the wrong conclusion, you know, and disinformation and, and you know, false news and all that kind of stuff, why would you drop that guy's, guy's body into the ocean? I mean, you know, claim that that's what you did with it. I mean, why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for the reasons that they were supposedly you know, uh, everybody's a complicit in these kind of things. Mm. You know, it's it's a complicity that uh, morons on the left are like, you know, constantly blaming, uh, you know, people on the right, at least in this country. I don't even know what those terms mean anymore, you know, um, for, for believing something that's stupid, you know. Um, but there's what am I supposed to think? <laughs> you know, Jeffrey Epstein commits suicide in prison, right? Well, what am I supposed to think? <laughs> you know? I, mean, I, mean, I mean, he probably did commit suicide in prison, but I mean, yeah, it's just sort of like, and you know, you, and people do not understand the incompetency, the incompetency level of, of people in power which is demonstrated on a daily basis every single day, every minute, is never taken into consi- into consideration by the people who talk about these kind of like causal cause and effect things. And it's like this because most people fuck up, you know, and, um, the, you know, they, I don't know, whatever. So uh, to go back to Cooper's death, you want to hear the, this is, in my research where I spent a lot of time doing this, this is what happened to Bill Cooper. Right? Well, well, hold on. Before we, let's
1: talk about how did he get in trouble with the IRS first? Just he didn't pay his taxes. taxes.
2: <laughs> 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 he didn't pay his taxes. They get banned if you not pay. You <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's as simple as that. And then he's got all these, and, you know, that's, that's the big thing, right? 19, I think it's. Nineteen thirteen, a major year in, in right wing thinking in this country, libertarian right wing thinking. That's the year that the Federal Reserve is created. You know, that somehow is being run by George Soros, even though he wasn't alive then. Um, and, so, and, um, the, uh, and, um, and the and 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 that's the year that they create the uh, the Internal Revenue Service. And I think it's something. Else. Oh, Woodrow Wilson was another one of these kind of mystic figures for the for people who and he's a miserable figure. I mean, the one of the worst Americans of all times, actually, when you look at the real record. Um, so um, in any event, you got to go back to all this kind of stuff and there's all this history uh, of like that the Birch Society more or less dug up and they put this into the canon about why things are not the way they want them to be. So Bill Cooper, Starts from there. And, uh, you know, one of the things that to show that you're a free person, you're a free individual, as it says supposedly in the Constitution, uh, that you're supposed to be, you know, this entity onto your own, is you're not going to pay taxes. You're not going to pay taxes. You're not going to finance whatever the government wants to do. I mean, I didn't want to pay my taxes because I didn't want to pay for B-52 bombers, you know. But I'm such a pussy that I did pay my taxes anyhow. So, but i uh, <laughs> Cooper. So he's Cooper, almost like, he, so he's guy, almost right? like a He's in not a paying his taxes, you know. <laughs> so, you yeah. know. I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, like you either pay, and, and once you don't pay, and then you're on the radio. If there's one thing that the feds in this country do not like, is they don't want you they don't they don't like lawbreakers and they certainly don't like people that thumb their noses at them that is like you know i'm sure that's true everywhere (laughs) so um you know so bill cooper's on the radio telling everybody who's listening to him not to pay their taxes so um he's got these problems and then he sent a federal agent over to uh tell him that like you know hey man if you uh you're going to go to jail unless you pay your taxes. And he says, I'm not, that's my why in the sand. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay my taxes. So, uh, and he's got all these crazy bogus kind of snake oil ideas about how you can get out of paying your taxes. Yeah, I mean, the, the dumbest things in the world, like put the wrong address on it, you know, or, I mean, just <laughs> really dumb shit. So like, um, and, uh, and, you know, so he's he's now he's in trouble so now he's he's got his um you know you could go down to the post office and see bill Cooper's thing on the on the wall this way in in the u.s they would back in the day when people used to actually go to the post office um you could see the the, the, the people who were like wanted by the FBI federal criminals you know Wanted for interstate flight, wanted for non-payment of taxes. And Bill Cooper could go in there and see his name on the, on the wall in the post office. That verifies his paranoia. They are out to get me. They really are out to get me. So um, then he completely overreacts. You know, he's up there on top of this. I mean, the thing is funny, if you listen to the broadcast, it makes every successively the place where his house was the hill gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, if it, it, now it's like it's almost like he's living on top of Mount Everest. You know, I've been to his house numerous times. It's about 150 feet above the, the road. It's not that far up. You know, you do get a good view. But, you know, so he's under the impression that he's living in this kind of like rarefied world. And if you come up here, if you come up here with your warrants, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you know. Um, and nobody wants, nobody wants to get involved with them because this is, we're talking about, you got 1993, Waco, a disaster for the federal government. The real beginning of the right-wing conspiracy world and and the legitimate hatred of the government by most right-thinking people. And not right, but, you know, they killed those people. There's no doubt about it. And for what? Because, I mean, they, they were Beverly persecuted, but for their their religion, because David Koresh was, regardless of all the other stuff that they said he did, I mean, he wasn't registered with uh, with the Baptist Church and didn't pay, he didn't pay his taxes. That's basically, he didn't pay by the game. So, and then you got Timothy McVeigh, you know, like two years later on the very same day, April 19th, which is a big... Huge day um, in this world. And um, so nobody wants to go up there and try to arrest Bill Cooper for not paying his taxes because who wants to get in a gunfight with a lunatic? Because he's already telling you that he's going to shoot you if he comes up there. And you don't want to take a chance to find out if he's full of shit or not because it's just not worth it. I mean, he didn't pay his taxes. Who cares? You know, it's like, you know I mean, how much tax can he owe? He didn't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's it's not like it's like uh, Mike Bloomberg is saying he doesn't want to pay his taxes. I mean, you know, right. Elon Musk doesn't but, want to pay his taxes. That's a problem, you know. So, like, <laughs> but, but strangely, so
1: big, it wasn't his taxes that brought th- the county sheriff on that. No, that's, that. Night. Well,
2: what happens is he gets more and more embattled, more and more paranoid, and he's under the impression that he owns that hill, that that is his property. Which is not the case at all. He owns one lot or two lots up there, and there's like 25 lots up there, most of which are vacant at the time or owned by somebody else. So um, he would, ch- it, it was a game. The people and the kids in the town used to drive up there and hang out waiting for Bill Cooper, the, the boogeyman to come running out of his house and chase them away with his like, you know, screaming and waving his pistol. So like, you know, um, which is not that weird in America you know, because everybody has a gun. So um, and there. And so in any event, the, the true story is that it, it's a Mormon town. Something like over 90 percent of the people who live in the this town Eager, Arizona, are members of the Latter Day Church, Latter Day Saints Church. Which I'm sure Raymond, you know all about, right? So, like, um, and they they um, they own most of the whole territory. So there's a guy named his name, um, Doctor Doctor Hamlin. Doctor Hamlin uh, is related to a guy to a Mormon Mormon guy named named Hamlin who was considered to be the the peacemaker to the Lamanites, the Lamanites, if you read the Book of Mormon, are the Indians, the darker skinned, darker Ud people who um, are the people that are this territory. So when the Mormons wanted to set up their own territory, which was not going to have any dark people in it, um, they needed to make certain business deals with these people. Uh, hostile savages, you know, or they thought they were. And um, Mr. Hamlin went out there and he did the deal. You know, he would trade them, you know, make a deal with them allow our people to live here and don't attack them. And we'll give you X, Y and Z. And it was like a pro, uh, quid pro pro kind of thing. So um, and he became this famous person because of this. You know, he's a he's a revered elder of the church. So these people. Mr. Hamlin is his relative. I mean, he can't get it's hard to get bigger than that in that church. So he goes to medical school. He comes back. He grew up in this town and now he's a married person with his young children. And he wants to go up to show them this place where he used to ride his bicycle back when he was a kid, which predated Billy Bill Cooper owning this house. Right. So he goes up there and um bill cooper comes running out with his gun and um not with his gun actually it's it's a a longer story than that but he comes out and chases him off because cooper in his mind who's like you know he's up there drinking jack daniels and all kinds of stuff like that and um he thinks that hamlin is trespassing on his property and hamlin is a totally entitled person i mean he Who are you to tell me what to do? I am like, you know, a big shot here and I'm a doctor and the whole town goes to me, (laughs) you know, I am the main I am a very important person. And Who are you? You jerk off. So it's like a bad mix right there. You know, it's a bad mix. So Cooper follows this. He gets But the guy leaves because he's with his kids and he doesn't want to get involved with this guy who he considers to be crazy. Right. So they drive him down, they, he drives down the, the hill and Cooper follows him in his pickup truck and uh, then pulls a gun on on him on the guy's property. In other words, he's doing exactly what Cooper is mad about. He coming on? Cooper is actually transpa- trespassing on this guy's property and he's telling him ne- never come up there again. So Mr. Hamlin doesn't take this well. He gets involved with all the police and they won't do anything. Because they know it's not good to mess with Bill Cooper, they don't want to do it, and um, so <clears> Hamlin gets more and more mad, and eventually he gets involved with the Apache County Sheriff's Office, who was another law, uh, jurisdictional kind of thing, and they, oh, for years, they had this guy Art Lee, I think his name was, who knew Bill Cooper personally, and. Uh, it's an old boy kind of thing and like so he cooper's just a crazy person in town and um everybody a lot of people all the cops are listening to him and agreeing with him he's this big celebrity and um but the new guy comes when league leaves and then another guy comes up there this guy mr um, hanshaw i think his name was and uh, he wants to prove what a tough guy he is so he's going to take out he's going to take out bill cooper so they send, a, you know, like an army up there of these guys to uh, to uh, arrest Cooper and Cooper, who was previously been on the radio, making his greatest single prediction, greater than the 9-11 one. He says one night they're going to come up here and shoot me dead on my front door step. I My head is going to come to rest on my front doorstep bleeding. And um, so they send these guys up there. Cooper, it's a long story about how it happened, but eventually they get into a gunfight. Cooper's armed, of course. And, um, and they shoot it out, and Cooper manages to, to shoot one of the cops in the head. He's never recovered. Um, and, uh, and they kill him. on his, And his head comes to rest on his doorstep, front doorstep, exactly as he said. And he even called the time. He said, at midnight. The time of death for Bill Cooper is 12.05 a.m. on the police report. So, like, you know, so what do you do if you're somebody who's trying to make sense of an American dilemma, you know, this kind of crazy world that we're living in? How do you tell such a story with these kind of characters involved? You know, you can either decide that you're going to be a Bill Cooperite and Believe as Alice you know, believe the Alex Jones, the Alex Jones narrative that the they were out to get this truth seeker, and they went up there and the Feds killed them. Even though it's it's all on record, you know that that wasn't the Feds. The Feds weren't even there. So you know, but it it's a much better story. So um, you know, that's kind of what I was trying to do in that book, uh, but uh, not a very many people. Or of the mindset that they wanted to read this, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like you ever see that John Ford movie, um, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance? Yeah, it's yeah, it's got it's got one of the greatest lines in the history of any modern society. You know, when you're confronted with the truth or the legend, print the legend. You know, Jimmy, John Wayne. Jimmy Stewart, all these American iconic people are in this movie, and that is the thing that comes out of it. Mm. And it's definitely worth seeing. It. <laughs> so, you know, I found it to be a sort of a fantastic uh, episode in my little writing career. And, um, you know, I'm, and I think Bill Cooper is, you know, I still have a lot of respect for the guy. You know, I mean, I really do. I mean, you know, People think that I'm a CIA agent because I didn't believe everything he said, but <laughs> you know that's their problem, not mine.
0: So, you know. what do you think?
2: I well, thinking- I
1: appreciate you printing, you know, the facts and the legend both here. You know, I think well, yeah, we print,
2: print the facts and the legend. It seems like to me, you know. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> right? yeah. Because- Why do you think? Um, like we talk about this a lot on the show. Um, Back in the '90s, you know, we were talking about in Bill Cooper's like heyday and the X Files, all this kind of this kind of '90s up till about nine eleven. Um, what 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 would you say? Why why did the conspiracy theories go so dark, like all of a sudden?
2: Because um, before people, get dark. people, it's I think people just got dark. Yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a kind of like you know, look what's happened. I mean, you know. Uh, I mean, you've got such a massive changeover. I mean, like, for instance, like last night, you can, and you can see it everywhere. You understand, like, what this woke thing is about because things have changed so quickly. I mean, we we're watching, we we're looking last night, my son and my wife and I were sitting around looking for something to watch on TV, right? So I see this thing called Suits, which is a TV show that's been on. You know this, Jim? Mm-hmm. It actually has Megan Markle <laughs> She's a star. Yeah. I go, is that her? <laughs> you know, I, I never watched this stuff, so I go, that, that's her, right? Yeah, you, know, and, so. <laughs> you know, so, like, um, it was kind of funny. So, like, uh, in any event, the thing, you can tell it's not current, you know? You can tell it's not current. And, in fact, I looked it up, and the thing went on TV for the first time in and 2011, which is not exactly a ton of time ago. But there are all these things in the show. I mean, the the heroes are these white guys who are scumbags, who are just out there trying to make as much money as possible. And you're like, um, you're kind of rooting them on. You know, you hate them because, like, you know, they're bad. But, you know, they they really have a secret heart of gold and, all, and, and, and the way that women are treated in the thing. You know, every time every time a chick goes by, they have an extra little shot showing her ass walking by. And, um, you know, these are like the way it was. And now fast forward to 12 years later, we were we were going looking through the thing. going, Well, they never would do that now. Never do that. now. Never do that now. Never do that now. So and they were like it was only one episode. There must have been 15 of these episodes of these little things that would have never happen now because of. You know, whatever reason, whatever reason, you know, the portrayal of black people, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying I'm for it, against it. I mean, you know, it just it just is. And, um, you know, those kind of things that that kind of reality slip, that kind of Martian, that Philip K. Dick March, that Martian time slip between uh, the, <laughs> this, you know, I mean, these things are real, you know. So like um, so people are feeling very skittish. They just don't know what to believe, you know. And, that, you know, like, and one of the things like, you know, uh, hatred of experts is kind of interesting. That's one of the part of the uh, part of the mantra of, of don't trust those people that claim to be experts. Right. Because they know too much. And so if you got someone's going to try to explain string theory to you. You know, which may or may not be real. I mean, at, at what point do you preclude you not knowing anything about this and not having that kind of scientific mind? At what point do you tip out of that that, of that conversation? Pretty early on, I would say, you know, like, I, I can't understand what you're talking about. So therefore, once you make that, get to that point where you have no idea what this person's talking about, you have no, I, no assurance of whether or not he's telling you is true or not. So therefore, it, it even, Uh, comes into that kind of thing where like knowing more is not necessarily a good thing. You want to know what everybody else knows. The internet, you know, God bless this little heart is, is kind of partial part of that. You know, we now, I mean, when I was a journalist, when I was first becoming a journalist, the idea of the scoop, the scoop, you know, you're going to be the first person to have this thing. That's, that was the goal, you know, now, you don't really want to go with a story until it's already out there because people are going to now they've already been attuned to the fact that this is something they want to pay attention to. So they're going to read it. But if it's something that's totally alien to them, in other words, new, um, then they're just going to skip over it. And it's been proven by the click numbers. So why this is, I don't quite get it. I, you know, I don't, I mean, I think that people's intense, um communication with the machine mind of the computer which they spend like you know 10 hours a day looking at you know you're looking at a similarity of the human mind yes and no parts of it parts not parts of this and you know and your brain is evolving at 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 the moment so therefore you your memories and what and what you're what you i mean it's just this william gibson stuff man Mm. which turns out to be true yeah
0: yeah you and know that's why i say all the know. time william gibson beaudrelet they're they're all right
2: <laughs> it's really well, you know, they're right but i mean they have a point yeah. <laughs> so mm. it's it's happening right so yeah. therefore when you can't be sure of like what's going on around you you're looking for some kind of shred of certainty that you can like lay, you know that you can like latch onto and if david ike is telling you that your mother is really a reptile i mean you're going <laughs> "Wow, well, yeah i could consider that like for instance okay i mean are you familiar with the movie called the invasion of the body snatcher yeah of
0: course yeah it's a classic
2: it's a classic right so at that point when that movie came out in 1956 i happened to be a scholar of that film so um because it's a good thing to know about because it it really states the problem in a lot of good ways um at that point most people thought that the movie was about communism because it was right in the middle of the cold war and they thought that what the commies did to right-thinking Americans, who all have their independent mindset and you know can think for themselves, was that they were going to brainwash you into thinking that then everybody became a socialist. <laughs> so you know, and and they looked the same, and they talked the same, but they weren't the same. So now, since communism is like a dead, dead issue, that's no longer an interpretation. But there is this kind of sense of like somebody else is programming you. You know, I mean. It's just they should show that movie all the time and let people write their little essay about what they think it's about (laughs) (laughs) because it changes. I mean, it's a it's a solid story that that requires different interpretation depending on when you're looking at it. So, um, you know, I don't know. So therefore, you know, people tend to fear the worst. You know, there's a lot of that in there. I mean, that's a human trait, I think. What's the worst that can happen, you know? And it seems like um, there's not enough, there's not enough self-confidence around to be able to fight that off. People feel they don't have any power, they're powerless. They're part of some gigantic machine. And um, The Matrix is, I'm not a big fan of that film. I don't think it's that good a film, but the, the the significance of it is massive, I think. so um, I think there's I think
1: there's another element too, and that's pride. i think I think a lot of people you were talking about Southerners and evangelicals earlier. I grew up in Georgia, and I think a lot of it's just pride. You don't like that there's anybody smarter than you. You don't want to admit that. You don't want to no, admit that yeah, somebody – I
2: agree with you totally. Something. I mean, who wants somebody talking yeah. down to you? I mean, fuck that. I mean, you Exactly. Exactly.
1: And the problem is, is I think people assume they're being talked down to, like you were saying, just because they, they've they gotten further along in the conversation about string theory than they know the vocabulary for. Anymore. Yeah,
2: and so like, you of being, know, like – being curious. are you? Curious, or about string theory, which doesn't matter in the scope of the universe. Anyhow,
1: well, there you go. For your average American, you're right about that. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, you know, it, I mean, there's a lot of when you're talking about why thoughts get dark, you know, I think that that that's definitely part of it. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm just happy to stay here in my little zone over here in New York City, you know, where I kind of understand. Uh, to me, it's a small town. I know the place. I grew up here. You know, anytime I feel like I'm getting a little depressed, I go over to Queens where, you know, um, there's if you if where a school school has thirty five different languages spoken in one classroom, you know, um, and I feel like, you know, okay, cool. I'm a human being. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm part of this team, you know. So, you know, I'm not really necessarily part of any other team, you know, I'm just part of this team and I feel happy about that. I was like a a gift that my parents gave me by by having me in, uh, and, and growing up in Queens. And, you know, there's a lot of traffic and, you know, people are annoying and they don't have very good manners. But, uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know. But there's still a
1: romance to it, especially from people that aren't from that part of the country. I think a lot of us are interested in your New yeah, York stories. I, I,
2: I go down to Georgia. I have a great time down there. I mean, I, I love the people down there. You know, I, I think it's kind of an interesting place right now, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's what I got out. So, you know,
2: it's that, that that business, I mean, at least from the outside, you know, I'm not pretending to know what's going on, you know, because I'm not from there. or know that much about it, spend that much time there. But the the idea that like now you're beginning to get like these um, different narratives out of there, like when you got a city like Atlanta, which is mostly black and full of like these accomplished people, you know, it just becomes a different kind of place. And I, I think that that's a really kind of fascinating place. I wouldn't mind living there right now.
1: It is. It's uh, quickly butting up against the old power structure. And the, that conflict is getting, uh, the, the score is getting much more even between those two groups. I'm not talking about African-Americans so much, just modern people versus the old white county seat elite, I guess, more than anything. And uh, it, 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 the, the tension is palpable. There, especially outside yeah, well, t- t- t-
2: palpable tension tends to be interesting you know i mean it may not be yeah, so healthy but... <laughs> 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 I, mean, I was I, I used to be a reporter in south africa right you know, i was I, I spent a lot of time during apartheid down there doing magazine stories and stuff like that so like um the i would go to these art shows student art shows at vit vanner vit what's the name of that is it did Waderstein University, it was a university in Johannesburg. The, I mean, that was the most interesting art produced by college students I ever saw because they had something to think about. <laughs> they were in this place that was actually, things were changing, you know? You had, to, you had to stay on top of it. You know, you had to use your brain to survive there one way or another. If you were white or black, it didn't make a difference, you know? Um, if you're in this intellectual community, it wasn't the standard, you know, you can adhere to standard positions, you know, like, this is what I think, you know, this is the kind of person I am. Or you can, like, just throw yourself into the stream and like, you know, listen to all these different voices, which I, I'm not saying I'm that successful about it, but that's my goal all the time to listen to what all Everybody says, you know, and then you know, decide who's crazy. You know, for myself, would I'm not necessarily mention it, Um, uh, but uh, you know, it's just uh, that's. And I think the world is very interesting now. It's just a kind of fascinating place to be because of all these weird changes that are going on, which are and the tech war is. You know, it's fascinating. We have this guy Douglas Rushkoff. We do this.
0: yeah, well, he's been on our show several times. <laughs>
2: he's been yeah, on my yeah, show, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know the guy. So, like, we have this thing that we do in the Lower East Side called the, the Meeting of the Minds. It's called Mom. I'll send you an invitation. <laughs> um, and um, we have these, you know, thinkers. <laughs> so, so Douglas is a thinker, right? So so we had him on, and we wanted to like, well, Douglas, you're the guy. I mean, tell us about AI. Should we be afraid of it or not? You know, and he said, you know, he didn't really have his rap completely settled on this one. He said, "There's no such thing as AI." I said, "Really?" Yeah, he was very entertaining. You know, it's cool. <laughs> well,
0: Rushkoff's in interesting. Fact, he's part of the. Uh, he was sort of part of the counterculture back in the day. The sort of '90s counterculture and the early internet yeah. counterculture, and friends with yeah. Timothy Leary and people like that. So he's kind of yeah. he's got a good a good uh, kind of background to sort of. You well, know, he was yeah. part
2: of the uh, the idea that the. You know that kind of utopian idea about that that you know what the computer was going to do for the u- human species mm. and now he's completely on the other side <laughs> he's totally he just wrote this book about these enemies of the people you know or like owning these internet companies you know mm. you know so uh i think it's called the survival of the richest or something like that, you know? so it's weird that
1: it, he didn't see that coming with with the work he did on like merchants of cool and that, that PBS special he did back what was in 99 no, it was 2001 where they were talking about media consolidation. And I think it's interesting that he didn't, that none of us really foresaw that they were going to consolidate the internet just in the same way that they had done.
2: Well, everything. I mean, it, it just makes you feel stupid now because nobody recognized it. They just thought that like, well, here's this new thing and have, but having lived through the hippie movement, you know, where everybody was, you know, was going to be great. The world was going to be a wonderful place. You know, <laughs> it just didn't turn out that way, right? So you're already like kind of wary, like, well, I don't know. What about this? You know? So, um, but Rushkov is an interesting figure because of that. And he was, he's always had the entertaining to listen to, mm. so. Anyway, was fun.
0: thank you so much for giving us, uh, you know, some of your time. I really appreciate it. If people want to find you online, uh what's the best
2: well, place well i have this i have this instagram account um unfortunately i don't have my website thing which i'm working on set up yet but the instagram account is a uh, pale horse rider book mm-hmm. uh, on instagram and that's um you know it's just an instagram account that you know i i on, on, on bill cooper's birthday and on his death day we do cooper week mm-hmm. you know the other stuff is more general Okay, but um, you know, it seems that's got about two thousand followers or something like that. So, you know, it's not big, but they're all organic, as they say. <laughs> so, so.
0: And we're back. So, how do you feel the episode went, Mister Wiley? I was like talking to my
1: boomer parents but cooler yeah (laughs) because this
0: guy's seen seen so many
1: things and done so many things so how about that american gangster yeah i know right like you bring you bring a guy on to talk about the conspiracy theorist oh wait he he may have inspired this uh, ridley scott movie yeah as well i thought that was pretty cool and and
0: was responsible for the the tv series taxi which i've seen a few episodes of as well which is kind of cool i didn't know that actually (laughs) that was kind of interesting but i mean he's got a really um interesting take on william cooper he clearly admires him which is something um interesting you know i think a lot of writers wouldn't be as brave enough to say that would they in this day and age he but he clearly admires him he clearly there's a fondness there even though this guy had some questionable you know not not mark Jacobson, william cooper had some questionable beliefs
1: oh oh yeah he's he's not a very 21st century kind of guy that's for sure and um uh definitely of a type that may not be very popular these days because of <laughs> certain political movements going on throughout the west so
0: yeah possibly but i don't know I, I still think what he's had to say is quite you know it's still valuable you know i think his insights are oh very- yeah I-
1: and he's romantic. There's a certain romance about the about, uh, story of someone becoming this sort of indie broadcasting wow. star. So, yeah. And there's, of course, my dog yeah, just yeah. in time Making for our appearance. recording.
0: So. Yeah. <laughs> That's all good. So if people want to find you online these days, I, I hear you're going video as well. Ah, uh, yes, yes. We're coming back for a second
1: season of Retrophilia in the coming months. So if you're interested in the 1990s and that whole period in time uh, and that that cultural milieu, kind of like what we were talking about today, check that out. It'll just be on YouTube. So just search for like Retrophilia podcast on YouTube. And once it's up, you can watch. And we'll be doing live streams too. So if you like live
0: video, come in, in the chat sometime and uh, we'd love to talk to you. Mm. And, um, so you did one episode about the occult in the 90s didn't you? So for our listeners they'll, they'll get yeah, a Yeah, new out age
1: n- yeah, new age 90s mm-hmm. a sort of uh it's, it's sort of like listening to pure moods for an hour except it's me and Audra talking.
0: So. Oh, okay, excellent. Well, it sounds like your dog is uh, wanting you for something, so we'll let you go but uh if you want to find City Now, we're at Sitting Now everywhere, except we've got a TikTok account now, which I'm, I still feel very old manly saying that. I don't know. That seems to be what the kids use. I, I I don't feel like I should be there, but we put one video up there so far and it's done all right. Not in TikTok terms, but if you want to find us on TikTok, we're at Sitting Now official, um, but we're at City Now everywhere else. Um, and do drop a comment or a, a like, um, subscribe if you like this video, and you know, send us some... Um, you know some some comments good or bad i I like interacting with people so um yeah (laughs) anyway i'm waffling a bit now so i will see you next week
1: bye now